Scripture readings this morning. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. That single word is probably the most overused and slippery word in English language. Um, Who doesn't love the word love? You just drop it into any context and it's like, whoa, love, man, you know? Even in any theological debate, you just kind of close the door, the trump card as well, God is love, so (laughs) case closed. Um, I see it, we see it everywhere, probably most famously overused by poets and balladeers of pop culture. Uh, Love me do, burning hunk of love, love me tender, chapel of love, lost that love and feeling, crazy little thing called love, endless love, dream lover, love in this club, uh, fool for love, when a man loves a woman, the power of love. Love is a many splendored thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. I could just go on and on, but that's the point. Um, even the great cultural heavyweights of our time have weighed in on love. Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. 
Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Nelson Mandela said, people must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, then they can be taught to love, for love comes naturally to the human heart. And Gandhi said, uh, power based on love is a thousand times more effective and permanent than power derived from fear of punishment. Where there is love, there is life. And even McDonald's, I'm loving it. So we got all of them. And while all these guys probably knew what they were talking about most of the time, I want to take a challenging look at our stance on love today because it would actually be easier if love was a known cosmic force or a quantity that was measured. It would be easier if it was a superpower or some sort of robust ethereal spirit that just flowed through us and healed us and felt like magic. Um, that would be great. And sometimes it does seem that way, but other times the flip side of love is that love is really hard work. And even if love don't cost a thing, love don't come easy. <laughs> you can't hurry love and you can't buy me love. So love hurts, love scars. Love does not always return to us when it is given. And sometimes when you look at the world, when you read the news, you really have to ask, what does love got to do, got to do with this? <laughs> but all this love talk, all these songs and poems and thoughts expose the fact that our culture is confused and wrestling with that idea. What is love? There's a lot of reflections on truth that come through that dialogue, and there's a lot of blah, blah, blah. And uh, when I think of the crossroads of truth and blah, 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 I think primarily of one of my favorite uh, movies of all time, The Matrix Trilogy. And one of my favorite quotes from The Matrix is uh, from Neo. He's talking to a computer program in the guise of an Indian man. And the program says, I love my daughter. And Neo says, you know, whoa. And it's weird to hear a computer talk about love. And the program responds, Love is a word. What matters is the connection that the word implies. And he's actually paraphrasing Paulo Coelho. Uh, I never am sure if I'm saying his name right. But he said, love is just a word until someone comes along and gives it meaning. And the world is full of poets and marketers and people that want to sell us love with their spin on it. But for we as Christians, that's someone who tells us, shows us, takes our hand and guides us in love. And the meaning of what love is, is Christ. And we have this image set in scripture of, uh, of Christ as the shepherd. And um, most times, actually, sometimes we really connect with the images of scripture. Sometimes they seem really far from us as 21st century postmodern people. And so we have to scrape a little bit. And I sometimes wonder... Uh, just how we can actually get in touch with that. I love that we have this tradition of having a garden and growing our own food and things like that. It's really exciting here at Madison Street. Whenever a farming analogy comes up, I instantly have like a slightly better understanding of it just because of what we do here. And I wonder if we could expand that to animal husbandry and herdsmanship. Maybe we could get a little 
group of animals together, maybe some goats or something, I don't know, um, in hopes that we would really, would really take our understanding of this shepherd passage to the next level in John 10. And on the other hand, I feel like I've heard a lot of sermons and a lot of teachings about, you know, shepherds and what their daily life is like and sheep and what their daily life is like and uh, how accurate all the things in scripture are about that and uh, how, you know, a sheep, if it rolls over on its back, it can't get up and how shepherds literally spend all their time with the sheep and the sheep do know the the shepherd's voice, all that stuff. And I'm not sure how much that's really benefited me. Um, And it made me kind of think, and I think that, you know, so often we hear this and it does seem far from us. It doesn't connect with our experience. And this is kind of a side note, but this is what I, where I went in my life. Uh, a few years ago, I actually had a life-changing conversation with uh, a person that, there's a lot of, it's a long story that I won't get into, but basically, I was scheduled to meet with this man who was a, uh, an elder at my church, and I never really, I didn't really know him very well, and I thought we were going to get talk about one particular aspect of life, and we ended up just talking about everything. It was like meeting with a prophet, and he kind of, I, I used to be a really kind of uh, reckless and, and just kind of flailing person. I really just didn't have any direction in life. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and uh, he kind of called me out on a little bit, but basically he looked at me and said, I bet if someone came to you and said, why don't you go spend some time as a shepherd and watching these sheep? said, I bet you'd do it because you think it would somehow change your, your perspective or it would be some kind of adventure. And I realized that he was right and that that was also absurd. Um, <laughs> that didn't necessarily make any sense at all, even though in my head I could make it make sense. Um, and that experience is a great teacher, but it's not always necessary. Uh, and... One of the things that we look at this idea of what this shepherd image teaches us, it's really just calling us in mind this image of how much God loves us and that the Holy Spirit can communicate that even if we've never held a baby sheep or anything like that, you know? Um, I feel like the last two and a half years I've been a hospice chaplain. I feel like the the greatest benefit of that for me, I've met a ton of amazing people, heard a lot of crazy stories, and uh, just seen a lot of families come together, and God do some amazing things through that. The biggest benefit for me hasn't been those experiences. It's actually been like, I read Psalm 23 a lot in that job, uh, because I'm always visiting people on their deathbeds, I'm always doing funerals, not always, but you know. Um, and just reading Psalm 23, I was blown away by that song this morning. I mean, I love John Foreman. I love that song already. And I was thinking of that as I was reading and preparing this message today. And so just to have, and I didn't tell Gary to play it. He just, they just did it, which is awesome. Um, and I do want to go there actually and just read Psalm 23 because to me, that's better than I think a day in the field would ever do any of us. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I just think, God is my shepherd. I will not be wanting. Perhaps the most informative sentence on the love of God. And then at the end, when it just even makes it more literal, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I love that phrase because in Hebrew, that word follow, it's a hunting term. It's pursuit. It's uh, the way that the shepherd will go after a sheep when it's straying far away. He won't let it go. You can't escape God's love. You can't, you know, the love is a hurricane, I am a tree. That's just so powerful. And all these images, they, they do this thing in our minds, hopefully, psychologically, that we just begin to gravitate into that definition of love that God is giving us. And if God is our shepherd, if Christ is our shepherd, then we are, of course, the sheep. Uh, you can't get away from that part of the analogy. And uh, there's no denying it, but um, this passage in 1 John, uh, actually, there we go. There we go. Uh, this passage in 1 John. It spells out for us who we are as the sheep. Here we go. Oh man, getting a little flustered here with these notes. Um, John is writing to this church that is wrestling with this idea of who Christ is. Uh, you have the Jewish Christians that really want to go back to following the law and kind of getting their own hands dirty a little bit when it comes to earning their salvation. And then you have the Hellenistic Christians that are way more into Gnosticism and it's very esoteric and kind of weird. And they want this ethereal, mysterious Christ that has kind of like this secret salvation for people that they don't quite have to understand exactly or do anything for. And John is really trying to clarify things with this passage when he says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He's saying, you know, there is this ethereal, mysterious part of it because it's this invisible God that, you know, we worship, and yet it is grounded in reality. Um, we believe up here and we love down here is kind of where he's going, and that's how to be a good sheep. We need to be told what love is and tell us John does. He just lays it out. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters.
And if anyone has the possessions of the world, material things, and sees someone in need, does not have mercy on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Love is not ethereal and mysterious. It is grounded. It can be felt. It is palpable. It is real. It is the proof of the mysteries and the weird stuff and the things that we don't quite understand how they they work. They will know we are Christians by our love. This passage shows us the depth of the gift of love, the depth of the gift of Christ, and the gravity of the demand that Christ's love is both unconditional and inconvenient. And love has been offered to us in that way so that it might be obeyed, it might be returned to the world. And this example that he gives, I love how he goes from lay down your lives for your brothers and sisters to have pity and mercy on those who are in need. Because the, the opportunities to jump on a grenade do not come up in everyday life. Um, I actually, I meant to prepare it and show it. I, I watched a video the other day of... Uh, a Marine who was, uh, did that. He jumped on a grenade in Afghanistan and he was being interviewed by Letterman because he had all these crazy reconstructive surgeries and he basically looked like a normal person after doing this incredible act of bravery. And uh, he was just kind of joking about it. And it was just amazing. And, uh, you know, every time I've shared a couple other Medal of Honor stories with you guys, and every time I do read those, I just tear up a little bit because it's like, man, In some ways, that seems like the most difficult thing in the world, and in other times, it seems like oh, maybe that might be easier to just do that. Just take it all out at once instead of having to, like, every day look around for someone to be nice to or someone to do something for. Um, I mean, that's obviously, I don't mean to be glib about it. It's a huge, huge, amazing thing for someone to actually give their life for somebody else, and I can't even fathom it. Um, but that's the struggle I have inside of, you know, how do I have the love inside, the love of God inside of me? In the book, uh, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis talks about how love is not that different from liking things and how everything we do in terms of love on earth is really about some sort of like desire fulfillment. Uh, you know, we love something and we want to feel something back. Uh, he says how, you know, it's either about addressing a need that you have or addressing a want. So if you see someone that's dying of thirst, you fulfill their need by giving them a glass of water. And you fulfill their want by giving some, them something tastier, like a cup of coffee or a tasty beer or something like that. And he talks about how when it comes to love, the greatest of loves is the love of Christ. And that everything we do, whether it's to feel affection, to you know give someone a hug or be kind to somebody, whether it's uh, pursuing romance and getting married, or whether it's uh, even just you know uh, doing something nice for a family member, you know, giving a gift on Christmas that's really meaningful, 
all of those normal everyday acts of love are coming under submission to this new love that enters into our life, the love of Christ. And that that is truly like the, the baseline of love. You know, we, we look for a definition for love and that's where it really starts. And the gut check for that obedience is here. Um, and for the preacher and teacher, especially when it says, you know, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Uh, it's a lot easier to say this stuff than to do it. Um, and the next four verses, verse 19 to 22, says, uh, you know, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in God's presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. If our hearts do not condemn us, then we have confidence before God and receive from him all that we need because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And uh, feels like I'm starting to ramble a little bit, so I want to just get through this. But these passages to me, where my mind went, honestly, was right to depression. Uh, I have struggled on and off with depression. I was very depressed as a teenager before I became a Christian, and that seemed to really change a lot of things immediately, but then I've still noticed that it's, it's all around me. And um, I think that when it talks about our hearts condemning us, it's easy. For me, I'm in a Neogram 9, uh, which I think several of you are actually, and you know it's tough to think that you matter. It's tough to think that you're worthwhile. It's tough to think that anything really matters when you get right down to it. And um, so it's easy to to get into that heart-condemning place. And when we go back to what is love, that's the whole point, is that even when we struggle with that, that's a very real thing for Christians to be depressed. Uh, it's, there's some lines of thinking out there that say, oh, that's not possible, or that if we're in Christ, that we're you know, gonna be soaring on wings like eagles or whatever. It's like, no, we're still people. And, uh, and that's what's happening. And, and this is where we need to go, ultimately. Uh, there's a lot of ways to cope with depression. There's a lot of ways to work through it. My wife is a mental health therapist. She can give us a, a, a clinic on it sometime. But ultimately, we matter because of God's love. And we matter so much that God said, not only do I love you and I will die for you, I'm going to use you as my vessel of love to the world. That's the command, verses 23 and 24. This is his command. Believe in, this, in his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. Again, we don't have to go out and watch some sort of reenactment of a crucifixion. We don't have to sit down. I still haven't seen uh, the Passion of the Christ. A lot of people go back to that, I think, in their minds. Those are not experiences that we need to understand that God loves us. We simply need to 
believe up here and love down here. Martin Luther said, uh, faith is not a competitor of love. It's easy to get wrapped up in the cerebrum when it comes to God. And, but rather, it is the sponsor. It gives foundation to love and good works because faith acknowledges the grace God has for all people. And uh, he went on to say, all one's works must promote the welfare of one's neighbor since in faith, each has all the possession he requires and can therefore freely and lovingly devote his entire life to the service of his fellow men. And uh, I have some questions. We won't get into a talk back now, but I have some questions for reflection for you guys. And see up there, you know, how do we go from the bombardment of the world to truly walking by faith and, and having this definition before our eyes every day? How can we better demonstrate the love of Christ as a Christian community? I think that's our challenge uh, every day and that we you know, can talk about and, and share with one another. Um, we don't feel, like we don't feel it. You know, that's what depressed, when I get depressed, it's because I just stop having that feeling of like, oh, I feel loved. And it's like, you know, Overcoming those feelings can be a real, a real B, to be honest with you. It really sucks. And it drives my wife crazy, too. <laughs> but there's space in the Holy Spirit and a place to come back to truth that overcomes those feelings, overcomes that what the world is telling me. And uh, what are the challenges of our contemporary landscape to actually do these good works, to do, you know, charity and dignity for other people is really hard. Uh, you don't know them. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know what their actual needs are. You don't know if they're just going to go on a bender if you give them five bucks. How do we... And the other thing is, you know, there's the stress to make our Christian love, like, palatable to the world. You know, how can we be acceptable? Like, you know, how can we be a 501c3 with, you know, contacts and all these other things? And it's like, well, are we just trying to make it palatable, or is that actually the path to true charity and true Christian love? I don't know. The great thing about this is that at the end of the day, I just raise a bunch of extra questions for myself. Keep praying. Um, I think Jeff's going to share ascending with us and all that stuff, but I want to pray with us before we I close, so let's pray. Uh, well, Father, uh, we thank you so much that you are who you say you are, that you love us so overwhelmingly deeply and passionately, that you love us enough to mute the voices of our culture and to give rise to a spiritual rebirth in our hearts. And Lord, there are many things that we could ask for, and many things that we need. In these moments, I just ask that you would allow us to remember and allow us to be of greater will and greater determination 
that your spirit would truly abide in us and that you would uh, just daily open our ears by your mercy to hear your voice and to do those good works that you promised us we could do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.